We welcome you to the 2021 Eschatology Series, a series that unfolds the power of ancient prophecies. Our series is based on the book of Revelation. Let's get started. We love because he first loved us. That's also why we give. We give because he first gave to us. The gospel is all about giving. It's about God giving to us. God so loved the world that he did what? He sent or gave his only son to to die for us and so that we would have eternal life. Okay, so if we are image bearers, we bring forth the generosity of God. He is the ultimate giver, but we are to reflect him and reflect his image and reflect Christ-likeness as we give to others even as he has given to us. Love is something you do. Love is measured in giving. Hi, friends. You know, God really has our attention these days as we're going through this pandemic. I was reading from Second uh, Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. And that's what we need today. We need God to come and heal our land. And there are conditions for that. We humble ourselves and pray. We seek his face. We turn from our wicked ways. Then he will come, forgive our sins, and heal our land. I was reading from Malachi chapter uh, 3. Verse 7, it says, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And in uh, Jeremiah uh, chapter 24, verse 7, it says, The Lord says, I will give you a heart to know me. I will be your God. And these are the conditions... If we'll return to him, he will return to us. And this pandemic has has got all of our attention, and I think God is calling us to return to him, to ask him uh, to forgive our sins and heal our land. And that's the promise. If we return to him, he will return to us. And that's my prayer today for you, for me, for all of us. And as I read that the other day, I just got up from my chair. Um, uh, I just read, Return to me and I will return to you. And I started singing, Return to me and I will return to you. I'll give you a heart to know me. Anyway, and uh, so I just uh, sketched out a new song I'd love to share with you. Uh, It's called Return to Me. If my people who are called by my name Will humble themselves and pray Seek my face and turn from their wicked ways I will hear from heaven Forgive their sins and heal their land. 
If my people will humble themselves and pray, return to me, and I will return to you. You will be my people, and I will be your God. Return to me, and I will return to you. I'll give you a heart to know me, and I will be your God. If my people will humble themselves and pray, as your people we have turned and walked away, yes we have, from the truth, from the light, from the We humble our hearts today. Will you hear from heaven? Forgive our sins and heal our land. As your people, we humble our hearts and pray. Return to me, and I will return to you. Be my people, and I will be your God. Return to me, and I will return to you. I'll give you a heart to know me, and I will be your God. If my people will humble themselves and pray. Cry out to you. We cry out to you, Lord. Have mercy on your people. We humble ourselves and pray, and turn from our wicked ways, Lord. Have mercy on our nation. Of our sins, revive our hearts again. We return to you. We return to you. We return to you. We return to you. Yes, we return to you. We return to you. You said, "Return to me, and I will return to you. You will be my people, and I will be your God. Return to me, and I will return." I'll give you a heart to know me. I'll give you a heart to know me. I'll give you a heart to know me, and I will be your God. 
If my people will humble themselves and pray, if my people will humble themselves and pray, if my people will humble themselves and pray and pray. And pray. Just lift your voice right where you are. Cry out to the Lord for your nation. Come and heal our land, Lord. We cry out to you, Lord. We cry out to you, Lord. Welcome to Eschatology 2021. We're unfolding the power of prophecy. It is an honor to have you join us today as we explore some of the final details that God revealed to his beloved John. We're going to be speaking out of Revelation 
chapter 21 today. As for our study, we have made a serious shift in the theology that is presented to us in the book of Revelation. We are now focused upon the new heaven and the new earth. In fact, there are seven things that God gives us that are new after judgment has been completed. We're going to cover those today, but first, let's read our scripture. This is out of Revelation 21, verses 1 through 9. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning, or crying, or pain. The first things have passed away, and he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to you one who thirsts from the spring of water, of life, without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and the unbelieving, and abominable, and murderers, and immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone." which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. May God bless his holy word today. This is an amazing picture being presented to us by the one who sits upon the throne. How exciting is this, that the true indwelt believers, whether you're a pure bloodline Jew, or whether you have been grafted in by the Lord Jesus Christ into this pure bloodline, our reward is about to be revealed to us in a great and mighty way. Let's talk about the seven new things. Just in this chapter alone, and part of chapter 22, we find seven new things offered to the bride of Christ. Listen carefully. The first one is the new heaven. The second is the new earth. The third is the new people. 
The fourth is the new Jerusalem. Number five is the new temple. And number six is the new light. And of course, number seven is the new paradise, which is oftentimes referenced as the river of life. It is a curious thing that a new heaven is being formed or created as we speak today. What's wrong with the old heaven? Well, we know with the new earth and how that is a needed aspect of God's creating new things for his bride because this particular earth is completely defiled. When it talks about the new people, this new people is strictly those who have been indwelled by the Holy Spirit through his Son. And the new Jerusalem, well, there has been so much warring and fighting over this old Jerusalem that a new preserved Jerusalem that's presently in God's hands at this moment will come down out of the sky in all of its glory. It is the city of God. It is the capital of his domain. The new temple is obviously something that needs to be presented to us. It's simply the existing holy temple that is in heaven right now. Before this throne is where John had to present himself as a servant to receive these messages we've been covering in Revelation's book. The new light, which is one of the greater mysteries that has been spoken of in the Holy Word, we're going to find out exactly what this new light is. But most of us who study the Word of God and the theological aspects of the Word understand the new light to be, this new earth will not be lit by a sun, but it will be lit by the Shekinah glory of God. And this river of life is where all of us will be drinking from throughout eternity. Our thirst for victory will come from the river of life. This is a lot of newness given to us as bridal members. In fact, it is our bridal gift. Let's take a look at that first one a little more closely. Remember when God said in Genesis 1, verse 1, In the beginning God created the heaven. Well, the term heaven in Hebrew is singular. And it means starry heaven, which means light by night. This is not to be misunderstood as the third heaven spoken of in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 which is the dwelling place of God. There's no reason to make the Lord thy God a new house. Presently, his is as perfect as it has always been. The new heaven is that of being the atmospheric condition of this new earth that is being created for us as we speak. Satan and his demons have made it their home to demonstrate their powers of the air, which means atmosphere. So this new heaven will be completely clean and clear of all any forms of darkness, demons, 
Satan, or anyone or anything that has been related to his domain. That is this new heaven. Let's take a look at the misinformed theologians. Some theologians are under the misguided knowledge that God will take this old earth, recondition it, and make it new. The problem with this kind of thinking is this. Before, during, and after judgment, God placed the beast, the false prophet, Satan himself, and all those who followed him, which is billions of people, they're all thrown into the lake of fire, which is what we call hell, which is also in the core of the earth. Now why would God make a new earth with all those damned types under our feet for eternity? That would almost be putting the damned in eternity with us. Secondly, God turned out all the stars, solar systems, and atmospheric lights to cast the damned into outer darkness. That's right out of Matthew chapter 8 verse 12. So after everyone goes to this core, this pit, hell, he takes the earth, according to Matthew, and he tosses it into outer darkness. Well, that puts us right up to what we're talking about today. He turned the lights out for that reason. So why would he turn them back on? When I pose that problem to theologian types that believe in reconstruction, I get a blank stare every time. It is simple as the Lord puts it, which is for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no longer any sea. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. That's out of Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. The scriptures are clear. The heavens pass away, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and all that is in and on it will be burned up. The Reconstructionists say this is the passage that gives them the evidence of the reconstructed earth. Somehow they believe that this burning is the purification process that he will take the earth through to become the new earth. Well, if that is true, what about all those that God threw into the core of the earth? Do they burn up? and not suffer the consequences of the damned forever? Is there a third death I haven't been told about? The Reconstructionist and their view is not logical, and they cannot explain what I just said. Not one has been able to do this to this day. You would think that they might want to reconsider this theology, but most don't. It's hard to retract a book when it produces a great following and particularly a great income.
So a lot of these books that are written on the reconstruction of the earth are set in cement. Even though there have been books written, movies made, and testimonies of those that have gone to heaven and came back, which is very odd to me because these things haven't even been revealed yet. So why do little boys and little girls and men and women have these testimonies of going to heaven, coming back and reporting to us what this new heaven and earth really look like? It puzzles me how some can write books about it when few scriptures depict it. But we know that whatever was a pardon of the garden before the fall of man will most likely be on this new earth. Whatever it is that Christ has been preparing for his bride is certainly good enough for me. Let's look at the new Jerusalem. Verse 2 tells us that John saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorns for her husband. The term holy city is mentioned three times in the book of Revelation. It's in chapter 11, verse 2, chapter 21, verse 2, and chapter 22, verse 19. The first is the actual earthly city known to you and me as Old Jerusalem. The last two references are speaking of the city after the battle of Gog and Magog. Truth being said, a holy city is whatever city God tells his son to reign in. To top that off, the bride of Christ, the church, is referred to as the New Jerusalem and houses them within the holy city, Revelation 3.12. In the New Testament, there are again three Jerusalems. Number one, the heavenly Jerusalem. Read more about that in Hebrew, chapter 12, verse 22. The second is the earthly Jerusalem. You can read that in Revelation 11.2. And the third is the New Jerusalem, which is what we are speaking of today. This New Jerusalem is the tabernacle of God. And this makes it possible for him to dwell with us and function particularly in and around his people. In other words, he is taking his tabernacle from heaven and bringing it down to earth just so that he can wipe away every tear from the eyes and pronounce the end of all death, thus having no more sorrow, no more crying, and certainly no more pain. It is his way of showing us that the first things have passed and new things have come. And it's all housed in the new Jerusalem. For us to dwell on this new earth, to function in his new temple, to be eternally placed within the new heaven, the new light, and certainly the new paradise. To that I say, Amen. Well, with that he says, it is done. I am the Alpha, the beginning, and the Omega, the end. 
the beginning and the end. I will give to you the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. Now let's take a look at John's last visitation. John has one last visit by an angel. The same angel responsible for the seven bowls of wrath. But this time coming to show John the new dwelling place for the bride of the Lamb, the new Jerusalem. In Revelation 21, 10 through 27, it says, And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, come down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper, It had a great and high wall with twelve gates and at the gates twelve angels. And names were written on them which are the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east and three gates on the north and three gates on the south and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had twelve foundation stones. And on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square and its length is as great as the width. And he measured the city with a rod, 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. And he measured its wall, 72 yards, according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. The material of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there, its gates will never be closed and they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, and nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You know, folks, I don't think our imaginations can capture the beauty of this great city. First of all, it radiates the glory of God without any 
distortions of looking through the eyes of sin or humanity. This radiant glory is so brilliant that John attempts to describe it with costly stones. Folks, this is right on pure Shekinah glory. The dimensions of this city are 1,500 square miles. That means 1,500 miles square at the base and also 1,500 miles tall. That's a big city. If you measure that out on a present-day map, placing the center on the hill where the Tree of Life once stood, which is the Dome of the Rock today, you will find that it covers the entire Middle East that warred over the rights of Israel. As for 1,500 miles high, well, since space starts at 80 miles out, 1,500 miles puts it beyond the science elements of laws of science as we humans know it, which is what makes this scene so glorious. From verses 12 through 25, we have our writer detail the amazing beauty of this fortress city. Foundations, walls, streets, gates. And at these gates stand guard with twelve angels, each bearing the name of one of the twelve tribes of Israel. On each side of this city, there were three gates. The foundation had three stones implanted on each side, all bearing the names of the twelve apostles of Jesus. That be his twelve disciples. This is to reveal the importance of the twelve disciples being a significant part of the church foundation. Each of the apostles' stones was a different kind of precious stone, which clearly marks the difference between each of those disciples. And that is why it was important for the stones surrounding or adorning the apostle stones were made up of every kind of precious stone from God's creation. Let's take a look at the gold measuring rod. The angel speaking with her rider held a gold measuring rod to measure the city, its gates and wall. And this is where we see that the city was 1,500 square miles. We learn from the angel that the wall surrounding the city was 72 yards, which equals 216 feet thick just shy of the length of an American football field. An average office building has walls that are about a foot thick. Can you imagine a wall 216 feet thick? This is no ordinary wall. This wall was made of pure jasper, translucent green crystal quartz. The city itself was pure gold, which is as clear as glass. It is the impurities of gold that make it yellow. When you refine gold and remove the dross, defilement, from the metal, of course that has to be done with fire, what you're going to see is clear metal. 
I've seen this with my own eyes. As the jeweler who designed our wedding bands took me through the process of what it looks like. You have probably heard Grandma talk about the white pearly gates. Well, she's right. Each of the gates that carried the names of the twelve disciples was made of pearls, each gate being one single pearl. That is almost mind-bending. All the streets inside the city were made of, again, pure, translucent gold. I think I'm getting the picture here about translucent equals transparency. Imperfections always create what is called opaque, clouded substance. Not this city. This holy city is pure, translucent, and overwhelmingly inviting transparency from the groom to his bride. When humans hear the word temple, classically they think of the building that housed the holiness of God's people. John saw no temple in this structure, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb were, are, the temple. When we humans think of light, Normally we think of the sunlight or light bulbs that become a replica of the sun to see an environment that is dark. This city had no call for a primary or secondary light source. For the very glory of God illumined the entire city and the lamp or light bulb was the light of the Lamb. Where Jesus is, there can be no darkness. And since Satan is darkness, where Christ stands, the enemy must flee. Always remember that. Let's take a look now at the nations of light. The question should be coming to your mind. Who are these saved nations? These people refuse to follow Gog and Magog when Satan was loosed for a short season. Remember when we talked about the millions, if not billions, born during the millennium? Well, when God's greatest enemy was loosed and went to the four corners of the earth to test and try men, and even though the greatest percentage most likely followed Satan, there is a good chance that many refused Satan's leadership. These are those nations. Without question, there will be great men who refuse to follow Satan, because all these people saw with their own eyes, heard with their ears, the reign of Jesus and his bride during the thousand-year reign. Also, and probably more importantly, the new earth will be made up of nations. Israel will occupy this new earth, pure bloodline Jews, or us grafted Jews, also known as indwell Christians, and these people will be placed eternally according to the new earth and its nations. The new Jerusalem will be the home base of the entire bride of Christ, kind of like the capital city of the new earth. The third heaven 
where God has always reigned, will not be changed. It will not be renewed or moved. For it is the constant that brought this moment together. Since God is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, He will be everywhere, felt everywhere, and experienced on the four corners of this new earth. These new and saved nations will bring the glory and honor of their successes into this capital city, much like a territorial leader reporting to his king. Can you imagine leaders from an entire planet bringing praise and honor and glory to their king without any sin, any lying, any self-exaggeration, or any kind of sin coming with them? Not only is this true, but it is the original design, God's form, and functionality of government. As we live in the present, we are called to be the salt of the earth and light of the world. Even in a darkened and sinful world run by God's greatest enemy, Satan, we as the church are supposed to be offering blessings and kindness to this world. We as the bride of Christ are the dwelling place of Christ, his temple. This is why we are to draw people unto ourselves for discipleship. Without us, the world would go to the dog, so to speak, or should I say, to Satan. It is why it only takes seven years of the reign of the Antichrist to bring 6,000 years of humanity to a depraved state. When we are raptured out of here, the blessing and presence of our Lord go with us. The unsaved don't get this. But without the church, the authentic church, you know, indwell believers, without us, oppression is going to rule day and night. It's plain and simple. Closer we get to this chapter in real life, the more we will come to appreciate our salvation. And that's the benefit of being a bridal member of Christ. To embrace the fact that Jesus left the third heaven and all of its glory came and offered his life as a pure sacrifice, paid for our sins, and offered himself as a gate to eternal life. In conclusion, he chose us made us a royal priesthood, a holy nation, for the blunt reality of being a people for his possession. The feel-good gospel that is preached in this emerging world today is not what God purposed. He saved us to be purified and redeemed as a bride for his Son. The gospel never was about humans and delivering them from their dark place. Even though that is a desperate need for all of us, our redemption was purpose for God to join his son 
and the woman Israel safely. Authentic Jew or grafted in, it is always and always will be about him. To taste the truth that after Satan was cast into the lake of fire with all of his comrades, the state of being of our existence while residing in the New Jerusalem will have none of Satan's influence, no manipulation of power, no sin of any type, nothing that plagued humanity. In the triunit of Satan, which is that beast, false prophet, and Satan himself, will be gone. What a glorious future the indwelt believers of Christ Jesus have before them. Coming up next is number 70. It's called The River of Life. I often wonder how John felt at this point in his vision. Our Lord took John on a tour, and this tour brings him to one of the greatest revelations of all, the river of water of life, and the tree of life planted next to it, with no sea to be found, In this prime estate, the source of such water is none other than what is proceeding out of the throne of God and the Lamb. We will see with our own eyes the overflow of the Spirit. And that is what's being referenced here, and we will need to take time to review it. We hope that you join us in that particular episode. It's getting close to the end, and we're looking forward to covering those details with you. Until next time.